everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Good morning. Uh, we had some familiar faces on that video. Uh, if you have no idea what that was, that was just a little recap video. If you've been uh, going to any of our camps, you know they do that for every camp they have. Um, yeah, so they did one this week, and um, we were able to uh, have some fun this week. A lot of us were there last week. I found it mistaken. Jeff was with you guys while we were gone, but I just wanted to show you guys a little bit about uh, what the camp looked like what went down, what happened if you didn't get the chance to go yourself. Now you get to see what it's like uh, at this new Intersect camp <laughs> over in uh, Cincinnati. Listen, it was snow camp without any snow, but yeah, but it was fun. It was a good time nonetheless. Listen, if you've been with us again for the last couple of weeks, um, one thing that you have maybe picked up on is uh, we've been talking about the gospel quite a bit. Uh, Tuesday night, the last Tuesday night that we did, I know we were off this week because of camp, but the one prior to that, we had a Tuesday night meeting on how to share our faith, where we talked about the gospel, and then we talked about how to share the gospel. And then as you just heard there, uh, in that video, Steve goes over the gospel very clearly, but that was something that at camp we were hearing um, you know, throughout the weekend, not just what the gospel is, but what our calling is as believers to go out into the world to make disciples and reach others with the gospel. And on the topic of the gospel, having now finished our series on the foundations of our faith, I want to start this new series for the next couple of weeks where we'll maintain this focus on the gospel somewhat. Um, as we go through the book of Galatians, as you'll see, that's going to be where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. We'll find in this book maybe one of the most passionate and understandable statements of truth of the gospel, maybe all of Scripture. And as we go through it, we'll see that this is not just a statement that Paul makes, but it's a theme, really, of the book of Galatians, that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's really the overarching theme of this book. And we'll see that that is his emphasis as he writes this uh, letter to the churches in Galatia. The point is that no work, nothing we do can earn salvation. There's nothing that we have done or can do and will do that is going to earn us any kind of salvation, justification. And that's unfortunately a misconception that a lot of people have, right? In general, not necessarily those that are familiar with the gospel, but in general, you might, you know, have discussions. You might even hear people talking about it. But people will say, hey, you know, what happens after you die? You, you're going to go to heaven? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go to heaven. Well, why are you going to go to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. I do good things. I have morals. Uh, you know, I donate to charity. So I guess, I guess that qualifies me to go to heaven. It qualifies me after this life to spend an eternity in heaven. But 
understanding the gospel, being in the position that we are, and having heard this morning, we know that that's not the gospel. That is not true. Unfortunately, people don't know that. Some people think that they can be saved by works. Or better yet, they think that, you know, if, if I can just find the right balance, or even more so, if I can outweigh the bad in my life with good, then I'll go to heaven. And I won't go to hell. But again, that isn't the gospel. And thinking that, understanding, um, well, having this perspective leads to a twisting of the gospel. It is um, what turns people away from God. And so in this book, what we find is Paul's emphasis and him reiterating that the only way that we can stand justified before God is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else can save us. So when Paul writes this, just for some context, he is writing to the churches in Galatia, and he is writing in order to promote and advocate um, against salvation through works of the law. He writes this down, and he's writing this as a means to counteract that message that has infiltrated the churches. A lot of people are starting now to turn away from God, having already understood the gospel, but there's this new uh, message that is being floated around, and people are starting to believe this false gospel. And what he does within this letter is he writes in order to steer the believers in those churches back to the right path, away from this distorted gospel. And what's interesting about this particular letter, as well as he's writing to the churches in Galatia, people that he had personally evangelized to. These are people that he knows. He'd already talked to them. He is the one that shared the gospel with them. So when he leaves and he hears that they have turned away, he is baffled. He's shocked. He's surprised. And we'll read that later on this morning. So when he writes to them, he writes to them as somebody who cares for them. Somebody who loves them. Somebody that shared the gospel with them prior to this. And he's writing to them, hey, what's going on? Right? <laughs> I've already shared the gospel with you. You guys know the truth. What's happening? Why have you guys turned away from the gospel? And he writes to them with this fervency, this passion. Right? You'll find that he does not mince his words when he's writing to them in this passage. He's very blunt, very aggressive in some ways, very straightforward. But it is from a place of love because he cares for these people, because he knows them personally. This is an outpouring of his soul because he has a connection with them. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we see the way that he writes in this letter. But it's also, most importantly, because of the fire for God that he has. And we'll see as we continue to read the book of Galatians, and as we already know, hopefully, that there is no sinner, not one that has ever existed or will ever exist, that has ever, by some way, granted, was granted eternal life due to their own merits, due to the own things that they have done, the works in their life, um, their qualifications, right, their, their background, their, their culture. None of that earns us favor or justification. That is not what saves us. The only thing that saves us is Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We all need redemption. We all are in desperate need of a Savior, but we have to understand that that is only found in Jesus. And that is the message that Paul has here for these people. He's reminding them, because they already knew this. They were saved. He shared the gospel with them, and now he is reminding them of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and trying to bring their attention back to the gospel. What is true? Remind them that there is only one gospel. There is only one truth. And this morning as we open up this book, the book of Galatians, we'll find here as we read along through verses 1 through 10, where we're going to spend our time this morning, uh, what Paul is addressing, right? He quickly addresses the fact that there is one gospel. He does not waste any time. He gets right into it. So let's get into it this morning. Let's read these couple of passages here, and then let's talk about them. Understand a little bit better what Paul is trying to tell them. This is what he says. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, he's introducing himself. He says, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is where we're going to spend most of this morning. Verses 6 through 10, this is what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is any other, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now we say again, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So before we start and we look at these verses uh, individually, I want us to consider two aspects to this. And specifically, talking about the gospel this morning, I want us to understand these two senses uh, here in regards to the gospel. There is one, the facts of the gospel. And then secondly, there is the interpretation of those facts. One, right, the facts of the gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. Those are facts. That is the fact of the gospel. As a matter of fact, if I were to come before you and I would say, hey, let me preach to you the gospel, and those things never come out of my mouth, I've never preached the gospel. If you are going to preach the gospel and those things are never stated, I can tell you right there, you have not preached the gospel. Those things are essential to the gospel. Those are the facts of the gospel. Now, Though you can't change those facts, there's nothing we can do about them. The second aspect of that is the interpretation of those facts. That they are received by faith plus nothing. Now, the subject of this letter, what Paul is addressing, what he's going to be talking about, 
concerning the Galatian believer is revolving around not the facts of the gospel. Right? They understand what has happened, who Jesus is, what he has done, but it is the interpretation of the gospel that has been twisted. The understanding of what it means to be saved, how we are saved, how we interpret the gospel, that is what he is addressing here. And everything else that is not what he says, the gospel of grace, salvation through faith, by grace, nothing else is the gospel. There is only one gospel. There's not different versions of the gospel. There's not alternatives to it. There's one gospel. And then everything else. So he is going to be talking about the interpretation of the gospel here. And this is surprising to him. This is, this is quite astonishing to him as we'll see in verse 1. Because he, he really doesn't believe what's happening. He knew these people personally. He had evangelized to them. He had walked through the gospel with them, and they believed. And now all of a sudden, they have turned away. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That word astonished there, I want to look at three words this morning to help us break down these couple of verses. The first word is astonished, and that will help us understand these verses here in verse 6 and 7. He is amazed. He is shocked. There are some translations that say, I marvel, right? He is super confused as to how did this happen? Right, we, I was with you, we understood this, this was very clear, and all of a sudden, these people come in and you just seemingly walk away. He is stunned and, and shocked by the Galatians' defection from the gospel. He doesn't understand how they got here, how this happened. And I, I don't know, maybe you've been through an experience like that, right? Have you ever known somebody or, you know, been a been a part of somebody's life and then years down the road or maybe not even that long, but all of a sudden this person does something, says something, and you just never expected it. Like, how did, what happened to this person? Or maybe you taught them or you were with them and all of a sudden they're doing something that's the complete opposite. And you, don't, you can't wrap your head around why that's happening. Right, you're, you're surprised. And this is the surprising feeling that he has. There's this one person. I'll give him an example from my own life. So I was one day, just a few years back now, scrolling through uh, social media, just looking at Facebook, you know, if you guys know what that is. Um, so I was looking at Facebook, just scrolling through, just like the, the feed there. And I'm reading this article that talks about this, this local uh, arrest that happened in my town. And, uh, you know, listing some of the charges. And then it showed a mugshot of the person. And it was a student that I went to school with. Right, so this, this person is somebody that I knew personally. Somebody that I was in culinary class with. That I had very, uh, uh, that I spent a lot of time with. That I had very good conversations with. That um, we hung out, we did uh, things together. We worked together when we were in that class. Uh, had to work certain events. Um, but I knew him. He, he wasn't a perfect kid. He was troubled in ways, but I was surprised. I was shocked to know that he had gotten himself to the place that he had. 
I never expected it, wouldn't have seen it coming. Based on my personal experiences with him, I couldn't foresee that happening, but it did. And Paul, I think similarly, maybe, like I said, maybe you felt uh, the same way about a certain situation. Something's happened, a group or an individual, but this is the surprise that he has. He, he's astonished. I'm shocked. I, I don't know how this happened. I was, I was with you. We went over the gospel, and all of a sudden, somehow you've unwittingly fallen out of the gospel. You've walked away, and you've started to believe this message that is not true at all. Something that is a perversion of the gospel of Christ, not a better alternative to it. This happened because when he left, these people who Paul, he often refers to them as dogs, came in. Uh, the Judaizers, as we'll see. This group of Jews known as the Judaizers, they were extremely religious people. And they would follow behind Paul often and, and go to the places that he had been, where he would, of course, share the gospel, share the message of how we can be saved by grace through faith. He would share that message very clearly with the people. And after he would leave, they would come. They would follow up his, um, his teaching, his message. After the people had proclaimed uh, their salvation in Jesus, they would come with a message saying, you know, it's not just Jesus. They would say that actually you have to follow a certain set of rules, laws that we have. There's things that you got to do. You got to obey the Old Testament law. And on top of that, you believe in Jesus. They didn't come in and say, oh yeah, whatever Paul, he taught you, that's not right. The facts of the gospel, oh, Jesus didn't die. Oh, this and that didn't happen. But what they did was they came in and they twisted the gospel. They added to it deceitfully. They were sly as well. They sounded and they looked like they knew what they're talking about. It probably happened some, some, something like this, right? Very close to this, very loosely. But you would expect that these people probably came in and asked, hey, hey, was Paul around? How, how did that go, right? And they probably respond saying, yeah, no, Paul was here. He stopped by. It was amazing. He told us, he taught us about the gospel. He shared with us how we can be saved and we've accepted the free gift of salvation and we believe. We believe and we know Christ as our Savior. And they would say, oh man, that's great. <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. But hey, let me ask you this. Did he tell you the rest? Did he tell you what comes after that? What, 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 else, what, what else needs to happen? And they probably were confused because there was nothing else. There is nothing else to the gospel. And so when they asked, hey, did he tell you the rest? They would have been lost and confused, probably looked at each other, be like, uh, no, and they would have reiterated again. Well, it's not that we have to just trust in Jesus, but if you don't follow the law, you won't be saved. If you don't follow the law and do as it commands, you cannot be justified. You will not have eternal life. And this is something that is common, something that is old, something that we've seen throughout the Bible. We see time and time again, 
But we see this deceit. We see these people coming in and twisting the gospel, changing by adding something to the gospel of grace. Faith plus something instead of faith plus nothing. And every cult, every religion, every belief set here in the world that we live in, they all teach a similar thing where you have to work towards something. You have to earn salvation. You have to earn favor somehow by the things that you do. But that is the opposite of the gospel. It's nothing that we have done or can do that is going to save us. But it is what Jesus has already done for you. Paul, he says this to the jailer. If you look at Acts, and it's on the screen too. In Acts chapter 16, 31, Paul tells the jailer this. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shall be saved. That is the gospel. Believing in what he has done, not what we can do. And it's amazing that he reiterates this by, <laughs> by following up verse 6 with verse 7. He says, hey, not that there is another one. He says, hey, you've turned away from the gospel. That's how he ends Verse 6, he says, I'm astonished. I cannot believe that somehow you've turned away from the gospel that we talked about, that you understood, that you believe for yourself. You've turned away from this. And then he says in verse 7, by the way, not that there is anything else to turn away to. There is no other gospel. There is not an other one. Right? Whatever you've turned to, that is not the gospel. He says in verse 7, there is not another one. And then he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word here, distort, it could also be translated as uh, pervert in the original language that was used in the book of Luke, oh, in the book of Acts by Luke when he speaks of sun turning into darkness. Also later on in James when he is speaking of laughter turning into mourning in chapter 4. So we see here the effect that this word has, this word distort, pervert. It's really the opposite of something. It's changing something to the complete opposite of what it is. So when he says that some have come to distort the gospel and, and pervert the gospel, that's what they're doing. They're changing it. It's the opposite of what the gospel truly is. This message is not true. And that is the sense of what he is saying here. To attempt to change the gospel has the effect of making the very opposite of what it really is. Christ told the apostles to go out and to preach the gospel of salvation by grace. That we can do nothing to gain salvation but to trust in what Christ has already done. And maybe, maybe you came here this morning and you were unfamiliar with the gospel. You did not know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. And that invitation is open for you. But my assumption is for the most part, most of us in this room are familiar with the gospel. We understand the gospel. We know the gospel. We have heard it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard it a million times. And we even believe the gospel. Yet, the question for us then this morning is, does our life reflect that? If we look at our lives, does it look like we understand and know the gospel? Because a lot of the times we live our lives as though our works, the things that we do, our salvation, it hinges on that. We live 
as though our works are somehow going to grant us access into heaven. That our works is what saves us. That's how we live oftentimes. Even though we know, and you would say that, I know and I believe the gospel, I'm saved. How does our lives look? Does it reflect that understanding and belief in the gospel? It did in Paul's life. Paul understands that this one truth exists. In verses 8 and 9, he, he talks about these convictions. He talks about this truth. If you read verses 8 and 9, this is what it says. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, which is the gospel of grace, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. Second uh, word there is a curse that we're going to be looking at. Accursed. Paul says this two times, as if one wasn't enough. He's like, hey, whoever's preaching to you this gospel, whatever they want to call it, it's not true. And if they are, let me, let me just tell you, they will be accursed. Hey, one more time, just in case you didn't hear me, let me just reiterate this for you. If anybody here, if any one of you is sharing something that is not the gospel, is perverting the gospel, distorting it, let him be accursed. And he doesn't make any exceptions here either. It's not just strictly for us. He's saying, if there's an angel in heaven who dares to do it, let him be accursed as well. There's no exceptions here for this punishment, the gravity of sharing something that is not the gospel, of, of trying to take people away from the true, the one true gospel. Paul says that if anyone, even an angel, dared to declare any other message other than gospel, he would be dismissed. And that, and that being dismissed comes with strong admonishment. There is reproof, the rebuke that happens there, the punishment and consequences that come with that are not light. It's not a little slap on the wrist because they've done that. Paul is saying, let them be accursed. Anyone who pronounces a false gospel is fully deserving of eternal destruction. In our, and again, in our day and age, in, in the society we live in, in the culture we live in, this still exists, this still happens. People, pastors, speakers, self-proclaimed uh, believers, these wolves in sheep clothing are still out there. And they may look and sound like they know what they're talking about and they might sound great, but do not be deceived. The gospel, if you truly understand it, it shuts out all works. Romans 4, Paul says this. He emphasizes this once more in a different book that he writes. He says this in verses 2 through 5. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. There is not anyone who is good enough to be saved. We don't have to improve and get better in order to be saved. 
We don't have to be at a right standing with God so that we can be saved. Without Christ, the reality is we are spiritually dead. It doesn't get any better than that. We can't improve on being spiritually dead, but that is our status, our status, better yet, without Christ. Without Jesus, we cannot. We cannot be saved. There's nothing that we can do. We are spiritually dead and we can't improve upon that. There's not a certain level or degree that we can, that we can attain in order to then come to know Jesus because we are dead. But God, God has sent his son to save us. Jesus, he comes and he saves the ungodly. He came to call sinners, not the righteous, because there is no one that is righteous. None of us without Jesus are righteous. Now, although the law doesn't save us, it does condemn us, and it does expose in our lives our need for a savior. Right? When, they, when they came, they said, hey, you need to be saved by accepting and believing in Jesus, but also following the law. That is not true, but what the law does is serves as a gauge for us to look at and say, well, yeah, we fall short. We are unholy. We cannot, we cannot reach the standard that God has set before us. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And that's what the law serves as. Now, the real problem that we have with most people, I would say, with a lot of people, is the fact, not that we feel like we have to be better in order to be saved, but we don't think we're bad enough. We don't think we are in need of a Savior. We, we, we don't think that we are bad enough to need a Savior. There's a lot of people in the world like that. That's humanity's predicament. They don't understand their lost state. Humanity doesn't understand that they have fallen short, that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. Most people in the world, they think, again, that Okay, I'm good enough. I do certain things. I, I don't need a savior. Maybe I need a helper, right? When things are pretty desperate, I might pray to whatever. But a lot of the times, people don't understand their lost state. They don't understand where they stand before God and what their condition really is. And when Judaizers, they came in, they didn't deny the facts of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again, but they did deny that this was adequate enough. And they insisted that you had to keep the law plus trust in Jesus. But Paul says, whoever manipulates the law of the gospel of grace, accursed are they. Not because they deny the facts, but because they misinterpret it. And he says this with full conviction. He says this, you could say, with chest, right? He says this confidently. He, say, he does not mince his words, as I said earlier. He says this with conviction. Why? Because he understands his calling. His attitude is very specific here, and we see that even in the introduction, the first thing that he says, we get a glimpse of this. We understand the attitude that he has and where he is coming from as he introduces himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. I'm not sent from man. My calling is not from man, but I am sent through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His one reason, his purpose, 
his motivation, his authority. It does not come from himself. It does not come from man, but it comes from God. That's why he doesn't stutter when he, say, when he says these things in verse 10. And this will be the last verse that we look at this morning, but he says this, for I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The last word I want to look at there is approval. Approval here could be also used as uh, persuade, which is to make a friend or it can be translated to seek the favor of. Why do we declare the gospel? Why do we share? Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, he says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. It is to please God in contrast to ourselves or others. Paul, he sought the approval of God. When he is saying these things, when he is saying, hey, what are you doing? When he's saying, hey, why have you walked away? Hey, for those of you that are teaching something contrary to the gospel, let him be accursed. He says that because he's not trying to say something that is going to be easy for them, for, for them to hear or pleasing for them. It's not what they want to hear, but he says it because he is seeking God's approval. His decisions and his words reflect that. They were not based on the opinions of others, but on pleasing God, and that is why he says what he says. Similarly, our calling is the same. Our calling is not to please both God and both man. If you spent your entire life trying to do that, just stop while you're ahead. I can tell you now, there's nothing you can ever do. You will never please everyone. It's impossible to please everyone. Our standard of holiness is not found in the opinions and standard of sinful man. There's this quote from Warren Wearsby, and he says this, Paul was not a politician. He was an ambassador. A lot of times we are desperate to say what other people want to hear because we want them to like us, because we want them to appreciate us, to value us, to care for us, to listen to us. But the people that we are so desperate to please, the reality is they become masters to us. Our words are not, uh, are not from a place in which we seek the approval of God, but we say and we behave and we act in order to please other people. And our actions are revolving around people that we hold to such high regard and high esteem, when in reality that should be God. Again, if we look at that quote, he continues Warren Beersby, and he says, his task was not to play politics, but to proclaim a message. Unlike the Judaizers who hoped to please both Jews and Gentiles by mixing the law and grace, Paul's aim, his ambition was to please God, and that should be our own ambition as well. Why we say the things we do, why we act and behave the way we do, our attitude should reflect that. That we're not out in the world trying to be everybody's best friend and, 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 and have everybody love us and, and seek everybody's approval. Because the fact is, if we are really doing what we will, we should do as followers of Jesus, we will be persecuted. 
A lot of the times we we rather not that be the case, and so we conform to this world. We do things, we say things that is not God honoring. That is not what God has called us to. So I want to ask us this morning, are we trying to please others or are we trying to please God? As a believer, we have a freedom in Jesus. We are not, we are not held in, enslaved to sin anymore. But I want to ask you, are you enjoying the freedom in Christ or are you too afraid to because of what others will think? If you're going to experience the joy of your freedom in Christ, the good news of Jesus, you have to decide whether you'll please God or if you're going to be a person that's going to seek to please people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together um, to be able to open up your word and be challenged by Paul's teachings and writings to the churches in Galatia. Um, so often we can place you second, Lord, and, and prioritize the people around us. You've called us to love them. You've called us to be a light in this world. But loving others, sharing the gospel with others, caring for them does not mean conforming to sin. It does not mean looking like them, speaking like them. It's not what you called us to. Lord, I pray that we would be like Paul, be bold, understand our calling, understand where we receive our calling, who it comes from. That we would prioritize you, Lord, that we would familiarize ourselves, live and reflect the gospel. That we would not seek the approval only of man and try to please the people, Lord, but most importantly, seek to please you. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning, citizen.